0: Sweet, so tonight we're going to be talking about the love of God, and for us, what that requires from us is love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another, right? If you've been around here for more than a day, you've heard us us say that, right? And so uh, tonight we're going to start off by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and if you have your Gideon Bible, (laughs) set that aside and save that for another week. Or or bury it in there. I don't know what you can do. Go put it back in a hotel, Ian. What was the Gideon saying? It's kind of far. Yeah. It's okay. I took the the room key from there on accident. (laughs) I do that at every hotel on accident. (laughs) Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into 1 Corinthians 13. So, all right. Verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. Or a clanging symbol. If I have the gifts of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray real quick. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray that you, um, you're here tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is moving, God, that you have hearts and minds prepared to just uh, receive what you you have here tonight to offer, God, and um, Lord, I pray that you speak through me, Lord, that for every word I say, you speak a hundred words to each of the individual student here, God, that they get to take something away tonight, Lord, that uh, hopefully is life-changing and impactful, God, that this uh, impacts the way that they interact with those around them, Lord. We thank you so much for everything you've shown us and given us, Lord. Be with us tonight. Thank you. Amen. So, this letter here, there's so much more to unpack, right, with what Paul's saying. There's, I mean, it's a lot. Like, you heard me read it. Um, and after reading it so many times, I think it's uh, kind of funny how naturally I still resort to, like, the things that I think about, which is, like, I don't know, like being at the altar of my wedding, right? Or our wedding, sweet tea. And it's, it's only been about two years since Elizabeth and I have been married. Yes, that's her real life name, Elizabeth. What? Yeah, it's with an A. So, you see, from the day you get married, right, like, to whenever, wherever you're at after that, like, the more and more time that passes, the funnier your mundane tasks of, like, self-sacrifice start to, like, change and shift, right? And, like, it just gets really funny, right? Like, at the altar, you're like, yeah, you know, like, in your head, you're like, yeah, I'll... I'll I'll go through anything. I'll go through like, sickness and healthy, I'll be there for you. And then it's like the little things throughout the marriage, you're like, man, this is, this is harder than I thought. So what does that mean, right? You may ask, Jack, you might be asking that. What does he mean? Well, I, I mean, no one told me that the whole idea, the whole simple idea of just sitting on a couch, right? Like fully changes, right? Like from dating to being married, Especially in like the newlywed phase that we're kind of currently still in even though I reject it I'm, I'm sure once we have a family or once we have kids and grow up right or get older and grow up <laughs> Get older like I'm sure it'll it'll be a little different Like maybe I'll have like kids pulling at my spine or something but as of right now it's just us And so so you know we have movie nights right and so sitting on the couch It's like super cute and romantic right And like, I don't know, that's, no, these are some friends that I I met a couple hours ago. I asked them, I was like, hey, I'm preaching tonight, can I take a picture of you guys? So, anyway, so even though it is creepy, yes, right? So, on an average movie night, like, you know, that night has a task at hand, right? Like, the task is to watch my three-hour movie for two-hour, hopefully it's less, and somehow transform my, like, auto-bought body into a pretzel shape like where I can sit comfortably but like also like it starts off sitting kind of normal and then it just like transitions it's just like you know she's all cute and so like (laughs) just sitting there anyways so (laughs) I don't want this to sound like it's getting weird so I'm gonna keep going (laughs) stick to the words so like this is the objective requirement to watch the movie I want and to continue to securely provide affirmation to my wife for my wife not to her Easy, cool. The first hour, right? Like, the first hour of the movie, like, you know, I got, it's usually, like, my left arm, just over the shoulder. And, like, you know, I slowly start losing a little bit of feeling in my bicep and in the elbow, you know what I mean? Like, that feeling just, is just there, and then you're like, oh, that feels weird, and then it's like, you're, you don't feel anything. And so, first hour, cool, check, easy, right? Second hour, I begin to feel my life, like, slowly drain from my legs, right? It's okay. Like, who even needs filling in both of your legs anyways? You're on a couch, you know? You're comforting your wife. Get over yourself. Like, seriously. And so, you know, you really don't even need any circulation in your legs. And so mission continued, right? And in an effort... To make my wife feel comfortable and secure, I must like morph my body into this straight jacket, like Houdini type of position. Just like kind of sit there and like have like my leg, like like I, I never sat like this like normally, like on my own by myself watching a movie, but then somehow I just, that's my life now. And the third hour, and it's great. I wouldn't change it for the world. The third hour comes, right? And you know, the target's in sight. Like at this point, it's been three hours. I'm a little hungry, right? Like, you know. And so I have no humanly, like no humanly possible way to reach the popcorn bucket. So I, I, I desperately desire it. I just can't reach it because one arm doesn't work and then one leg doesn't work. I'm not going to try to reach. Um, so I quickly give that up because I mean the food, the food of love will feed my heart and my stomach. And so. And then and then after, you know, in the third hour, like, the plot thickens, right? Spider-Man loses someone close, and it provides me motivation to keep going, to not lose the one I love as well. And then, we, you know, we get to that super awesome part. We see all three Spider-Mans on the screen. Spoiler alert. And then just as I'm sitting in awe and wonder, right? Just like I'm sitting there in awe and wonder. Well, I didn't say I didn't say, like, his aunt dies or anything. And so I'm sitting there in awe and wonder. And, like, and then, like, Okay, I feel so bad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't. I wrote it in here, and I still feel bad. So, it's okay, right? The price for love, it's worth it. End of the story right there, right? And then just like that, I'm done. Like, you know, I slightly can't feel half of my body. Like, you know, three regions. Like, my arm, my right leg, or something. And... And then the movie ends, right? And then, like, I, like, flop my half-lifeless body off the couch to reach the popcorn bowl. And just like my soul, the bowl is empty. And that's a typical just movie night, right? It's just normal, right? Like, you you know, it's great. And so... But that, to me, right? That's what, like, unselfishly, like, you know, unselfish sacrifice looks like. And, and that's, like, my cross to bear every Friday night or Thursday night. And so... But it's it's kind of like silly, right? And I'm sorry, Spider-Man's a good movie, guys. It's kind of silly. And in the mundane, for some reason, it like unselfishly choosing for the highest good for another can seem serious for the serious things, right? And then for some reason, in the little things, it can just be easily missed or it could be easily forgotten. And so... It's easy to stand there at the altar, right? And to think of all the extreme worst case scenarios. And you sit there and you're like, man, yeah, like that's for the serious stuff. I can do that. And it's the mundane though, that really plays the most part. You deal with that more than the, the what ifs. And so yeah. in here, what Paul is talking about, what love is and what love isn't, it's all anchored in the teachings of Jesus. And so Paul is talking about this as if we have, like, some kind of way to choose how to love others ourselves, right? And it refers not primarily to, like, a feeling that just happens to you, right? Like, there is a feeling involved when it comes to, like, loving another person and and making friends and meeting people and stuff. There's feelings there, but love is primarily an action, right? It's like a behavior. It's a choice. It's something you do. It's not something you have to first feel. And so our feelings of people can bounce around back and forth, change day by day, right? And love, according to Paul, is a pre-settled decision, right, on how you're going to treat someone long before they ever have an opportunity to react to you. And so Paul gets this this meaning from the word agape, all right? And some of you guys have heard that word before, agape. The, and, and it kind of like describes like this divine love. And Paul says, the son of God who loves me, right? And how do we know that he loves me? Well, he gave himself up for me. Paul says to the Ephesians, hey, followers of Jesus, follow God's example. As dearly loved children and you yourself walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you. Yeah. And in following Jesus, you kind of like build it from the ground up, right? Like, there's a core to it, to this style of love, this type of love. It's about a settled purpose to act in a way that brings about the well-being of another person, regardless on how they respond to you. Sounds easy, huh? Yeah. And so, C.S. Lewis says it in a different way. He says the same thing, but in a different way. Lewis says, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And uh, there's just so many ways you can phrase this, right? And And it's good every way. Like, listening to that, I'm like, yeah, like, that's what it looks like to not have the whole world revolve around you and for you to care about another person. And so, that's love for a Christian. That should be love for all of humanity, right? Like, Could you imagine? And a choice that... And this is like a choice, right? This is a choice that I can make. It's a choice you can make when it comes to how you treat someone, right? It's motivated by love, even if sometimes you don't always feel the motivation. And so it has to come down to a purpose or to a choice. So... We're going to go ahead and jump back into the scripture, but we're going to focus on the middle paragraphs of what Paul's giving us examples on what love is and what love is if he says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And so I found this like super cool connection a few years ago in a sermon that I listened to of like a connection of love, a description of love, and I wanted to kind of share it with you guys tonight. And and I'm not smart at all, but I do like to be like I do like looking into like stuff in space. It's really cool. It's really awesome. And I have some pictures of some black holes. There you go. And so these are black holes because I googled it, guys. I Googled it. So you have, you have an M87 there, whatever that one means. And so, and that's the only one I could find. So, and you know, when it comes to science and astronomy, I'm, I'm fascinated and it's just so vast and endless and chaotic. And it's just like, it's really beautiful out there. And I haven't been, but I've heard it's nice and it's intriguing. And just being a normal person, right, it's crazy to just think of how you can kind of just stand outside, look up into the sky, and just like wonder, or like stare at sky, st- if you don't mind looking weird, I guess. You gave me a really weird look. She's like, you stand outside? You look up? <laughs> and so it's just really interesting to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just really weird. Um, but it's cool to be reminded how small we are in the universe sometimes, Right? I mean, it might not be cool to everyone. It might be scary to some people, but it kind of pulls you out of your everyday life. It kind of just reminds you and pulls you out of that, like, "Oh, wait, the whole world doesn't revolve around what I'm going through right now." And so, like, just like right now, here we are, right? You're here. It's 8:01 p.m., and we're in, somehow we're in San Angelo, Texas. <laughs> we all winded here. We all winded up here somehow. And you know we take up a small amount of space, right? In in the universe, and and we know that any object that takes up space, it has density, and and it has an effect with the things around it, right? It's called a gravitational pull. And so you and I are not very big, right? Well, like in, compared to the universe, we're not very big. We're tiny, and you can't really feel like people. You can't really feel anything like pulling and drawing you in. And, like, you don't feel, like, the person next to you pulling and drawing you in unless you're, like, madly in love or something. Um, no one started scooting, so that's cool. Ian started winking, but that was just at me. So, but it's true. Like, we have such a weak gravitational pull. And and it's not really perceivable, right? Like, you don't feel it happening. And also, I'm sorry, guys. No matter how much you go to Planet Fitness, your gravitational pull will not get stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Pam that's when you say boom rusted and so that was such a bad joke I'm so sorry uh, man so has anyone been like in a position like okay for me it's like for some reason 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. you're just like interested to learn you know something random or weird and you're just like I'm gonna go on YouTube right like it's the greatest place on earth and so YouTube at 3 a.m. can get really fun and um uh, <laughs> And I, I, you know, I would like try to watch a video and then always like get really intrigued by the next video. And I'm like, ooh, like a nebula cloud. What's that? It's cool. It has cool colors. And I just click it, right? And then they like just start like giving equations and like, and like all these like the chemistry about the cloud and astrophysics. And I'm just like, dude, like I just, I just want to know why it's colorful. And, you know, but they have to prove to you that they're smart, so they tell you all this stuff, and that's really why I think they're making it all up. And they make fun of your mom, and you feel like you're in a Call of Duty pregame lobby. They rub it in your face, because, and they make fun of you for not understanding the movie Interstellar, and they're just, like, attacking you personally, and you, you know, it just reminds you that you're not a successful nerd like they are on YouTube, and your insecurities kick in. And by the time it's 5 a.m., you know, you got to go to work in an hour. Anyone? Yeah. yeah me neither. Me neither, Right. Well, thankfully, with black holes, not a lot of people know too, I mean, there's stuff, you know, there's observable things you can do, but I I don't think anyone's going through one anytime soon. So, like, you know, there's only, a, it's, and that's the rest of space, too. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> but we actually don't, like, we've only known about black holes for about 75 years. And, like, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's, like, as old as some people's grandparents. That's it. Like, the whole life. And so it's just like, not, it hasn't been that long. And it's like, the fact that we have multiple, like hundreds of them out there, it's just, I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's unreal. And the, the little that we do know about a black hole is their gravitational pull is strong, right? It actually disassembles the molecules of whatever object it consumes. It's pure oblivion. It unmakes anything that it sucks itself into. Like, can you believe it? It unmakes and disassembles. It dismantles molecules and everything. And there's a few objects in our universe that kind of are the complete opposite of a black hole. There's there's a few, and the cell is one of them. It's a simple little thing. Well, it's really complex, but it's simple compared to the, the entirety of the cosmos and the universe and space. And so at least it's something we can physically observe. And um, and this is like, it's just crazy to think of like the entirety of life kind of comes from these things, right? Like this part of life, it's the core building structure of everything. Cells build up like grass, algae, bananas, butterflies, wombats, normal bats, vampire bats, and baseball bats. Every, that's everything I can think of. Cells are like, they build up everything. And these little things, they're... They are endlessly generating, constantly reproducing themselves. And, and here's what's remarkable, right? Like a black hole is all about the singularity in the center. And it like sucks everything into itself and actually destroys everything that sinks into its orbit. But the cell is the exact opposite, right? Like it's this tiny little thing and it's marching orders of existence. Like the whole purpose of a cell is to give all of its energy to make another one, like, and now, what's, I mean, what's even more incredible than that is that it's not like a, a zero-sum game where it, like, makes one, and then it's like, all right, I'm done. Like, that was my sole purpose was to just make one more. And, you know, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. A cell's, like, cell number one doesn't lose. It actually becomes itself as it gives itself away. Life is generated out of, its, of itself, out of it, which is the complete opposite of a black hole. And so these two images, right, like, you know, they could be comparable or not, but we can use them as a vivid exa- example of how different love can look like when it comes to us, when it comes to humans, the way we interact. And so you have a love in our culture, right, that's primarily about desire and affection. And sure, if, if I desire and have affection for you, we are both going to benefit from that, right? But if it's ultimate source, if our ultimate uh, source is self-regard, then all of a sudden, you and I become these relational black holes where what we offer is only uh, given in light of meeting our own needs, each other's needs, constantly drawing each other into our own character flaws and our search for meaning of, of love, of purpose, of affirmation, we inevitably end up as this bottomless pit of needing affection and affirmation from you, from each other. And But odds are is that you're going to be probably pretty miserable too, right? Like as as you get drawn into a relational black hole, it begins to damage not just me and what I do, but it starts to damage you as well. And that's what humans are sometimes that's what we can be like and this is like this is on our own when we're at our best sometimes right and and i in, in writing that i like it's hard to sit there and go man yeah people can be like that or it's easy to do that it's hard to turn back and go man i can i, I can be like that i've done that before and you know, everyone's been a teenager, right? Everyone here has been a teenager. You've all pretty much been in high school or some level of that. And so when I was in high school, I, I definitely was, I would say, relationally destructive at times, right? Like, you know, we're in middle school and high school. You don't really know what's a secret, what is a secret. You know, you like the idea of starting a fire. You like starting a you know, gossip or spreading lies or just, you know, be a part of something so you'll say something. And you'll, you'll see these little, like, white lies sometimes, right? The, the, these things that we call white lies. They're like small, little, we, the, we, we narrow them down to meaningless lies. Like, we're like, yeah, they didn't mean anything, right? But it's still a lie. And so we say these things just to fit in, just to be cool. And, and you know, um, I, had some, I had some really good friends in high school. And I had, I, they were really good friends I met my sophomore year. And they were awesome. They were some of the best friends I ever had. And we spent a lot of time together. And they were very kind to me. And, and, you know, none of us were perfect. We were high schoolers. So none of us were perfect at all, by any means. But they definitely had, like, their own self-preservation going on, just like I did. And so sometimes we drove each other crazy, but we had just been best friends for years. So it's like, it kind of comes with it when you're in middle school and high school, and you, don't really know how to treat another person. <laughs> and I remember the very day, I remember the day exactly that one of my friends asked me about something that I had lied about. And and then we started all, like, sharing and calling each other out, like, in this little tiny moment. And it was very overdramatic. And it was very, it was super small stuff. Very, very, like, you told my dad that you dropped a pencil, but it was a pin. Like, it was something ridiculous like that. And it was... But we all got, like, we all got, like, personally offended and hurt, and we started, like, hurting each other with our words, and it was very dramatic, but this time, but this time was different, because it wasn't just dramatic, it was, it was destructive, like, we dismantled something there in our friendship, like, we damaged something there, and this time, I don't think anyone. I think everyone realized that was in the room this time. We realized that there was something there that we weren't going to be able to fix, right? And I don't know if you had had, if you have had something like that happen to you, whether if it's at home or like with family or maybe it was friends. You know, for you too, maybe it could have been friends. But it's just like uh, in that kind of moment, no one can really escape that kind of gravitational pull, right? like a pull that is that destructive from one person to another, and, and we weren't even trying to do that, all right? Yeah. But the way of Jesus, when I when I start when I came to ASU, and um, after my freshman year, I came to Chi Alpha, and I started realizing the way of Jesus is just different, yeah. right? Like, the way that I had this idea, and I got hurt after high school. We were all hurt. We were all mad at each other. Some of us never talked to each other again, and some of us, like, you know, we reconciled a few things afterwards, and we talked to each other years later, but I, there's always going to be, there's something there, and, you know, something that we recognize, and since I've been a Christian, since I've been saved, since I've been here, I've realized that. This description of a cell. This is kind of like the way of Jesus. This is what made sense to me at the time when I when I listened to this. This was like four years ago, and I yeah, and it was like roughly around the, si- the same time I just started like leading a small group, and so a lot of these things really were very vital to uh, what I believed, and the way of Jesus is it's like a cell. This this commitment driven out of this inner life source of constant focus for others. This word agape, it's not just like a fancy word for love you can throw around every now and then. Like it's perpetually outward oriented. It's like giving something of yourself, your energy, unto another. It seeks what it can do for others out of its way. And just like the paradox of the cell, the more you give out of yourself to others, the more truly human you become. And the more like Jesus you become, the more of yourself you discover and grow into just like God originally or, uh, intended it to be. And that fascinated me. That intrigued me. That like sparked up a lot of curiosity in me. I was like, it's so counterintuitive, right? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. And how can I look at a cell and go, that makes sense. But then I look at scripture, and what Jesus can do, and I'm like, oh, the more I give to myself, the more I serve, the more I take, you know, other people, and I, and I help them, and I, you know, serve people, and just get to know them, the more of myself I become, the more like Jesus I become. Yeah, yeah good. I think it's funny, too, because things have, things change over the years, and so I remember, going through this whole process personally and also being around a lot of people that um, did a lot of self-help things to do this themselves, right? Like, and and by no means was I like, I'm gonna do it this way so that I can be more of myself first or anything. But like, I did begin to recognize that the more I just focus on other people and Jesus and the less I focused about myself, the more I felt like myself, the more I became myself, If that makes sense. And this love, it's unselfishly choosing for others, for their well-being and and their highest good, and because of their intrinsic value that they already have. And you see, how we love God and how we love one another comes down to being like a relational black hole or a life-giving cell. Do we pull everyone in our own oblivion of self-regard or do we have a settled purpose on how we interact with those around us? Because you see, love is love is vital. Like you can't really you, you it's everywhere in your everyday life. It's something you think about when you're not really thinking about it. It's something that's on every show, every song. It's it's something you know people are talking about in different ways, whether if it's um like the lack of love or the the of or how people respond to them and they, they, they don't feel like it's caring enough, right? Like you still hear it, even in the negative context. But love is, it's not just vital, it's life generating as well. And the more Jesus gave of himself, he's not less of himself. Just like the cell, right? And, and we are more of ourselves, and this is his intention. But the more we are of ourselves, the more that the Holy Spirit can reveal more truth to us then the more we we begin to understand things differently. The more truth God shows us, the more we view the world as he does, right? Our eyes begin to see what he sees and our hearts begin to break for the things that his heart breaks for. And at this point, there is now one person on this planet you could not love. Love is so much Love is, like we said, like I said earlier, love is everywhere, right? You just can't kind of get around it. Love is so much. And the way Paul and Jesus described it is like love can celebrate truth. Love is patient and kind. Love has a capacity to experience joy and happiness with another person. Love is genuinely able to celebrate good stuff in other people's lives. Love actually would rather talk to others about their lives than their own. Love seeks a need and meets it. Love will treat people in a way that accommodates them. Love does not get angry, and when it does or if it does, it is quick to forgive. Love laments the tragedy of the human condition but celebrates the truth. Love will always hope for the best for a person. And love is always supportive. It always trusts and endears all things that are true. This is where Paul is trying to get to with the church of Corinth. Like when he's talking to them about these things, it's not because he's like, hey, I want to give you guys a letter that's, you know, you guys are going to use this when you guys get married and, you know, there'll be something sweet to say, poetic, like at the altar. He's giving it to them because they're not doing this right. Right? Like, this church has got, like, dude, you they got one guy suing people left and right. He got people gossiping and lying about each other. And it's just, it's chaotic. They're, they don't understand how to treat one another. Yeah. But for us, like, I would just say first go and read on how Jesus lived and watch it change your entire perspective of life. Everything about his life, like, it's just the most counterintuitive thing to ever exist. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And read and see how Jesus sat with sinners and ate with thieves. Jesus talked to the sick and the broken. He did this all despite on what culture labeled people as, despite who hurt him or who offended him or who didn't like him. And you see where it ends, too. For his life, you see what happens at the cross. The cross is precisely the place where Jesus allowed himself willingly to be pulled into our oblivion of selfishness and sin. Willingly, he allowed it for the sake of your life. He allowed it to destroy him. But our our core confession is that God's love for us and the person of Jesus himself is more powerful than our oblivion, than our selfishness and our sin. And even our death. And what's valuable and true about that and about you and about the person sitting next to you is that the Son of God loves you and and that he gave himself up for you. And, I mean, despite, you know, looking back at things and stuff, you know the person you are, right? Like, you know who you are when you're left to your own devices. You know who you are when there's no one around. And it's despite that. Because the way Jesus sees you is he doesn't leave you alone to that. That's the whole point of the gospel. And and the way, and G.K. Chesterton says it like this, and I I love it. It's super simple, but this is what, like, I get pumped up reading something like this. (laughs) He says, the way to love anything is to realize that it might be lost. And that's so true. It's so true in every, like, man, in everything you do. You relate it to taking care of your family, taking care of uh, it could be anything, like a pet or a friend, and it be anything. It's like kind of those things where people say, like, you never know. We have till it's lost, like, you cherish it, value it. And a cell, for some reason, a cell knows this, right? Like, a cell knows this very thing. Somehow, it has it written inside of its own making. If it does not properly reproduce the life of an organism, the life of that organism is at stake. The creature dies or the animal gets sick, right? Like, it is doomed. And if this is true for the tiniest piece of life, it has to be true for all of humanity. It's true for you and it's true for I. Because the truth is, there's a lot at stake here for you. This is the reason why it's a command, not a suggestion when Jesus is talking about it. There is eternal life at stake. Either you're a spot in space full of destruction, and not only are you forfeiting like the life that you know, could be reproduced by you, or the life that you could influence or anything, but you just kind of destroy the life that exists around you and yourself. It's absolutely devastating. It's destructive. And whether you're the person who is a relational black hole or just a Christian who is indifferent, there are only two outcomes, black hole or cell. And it's true. You either actively destroy yourself and everything around you in your self-polarity, or you are a life-giving vessel that extends abundance to everything around you, to everyone around you. And this is because you're responsible for something. The cell's responsible for something. The responsibility of a cell is the entirety of the world relies on it. The fruitful reproduction, the, the patient intentionality, the gradual growth, the, the completion of the mission that a cell is taking a part of. And in this way, the entirety of the gospel relies on you, the same as the responsibility relies on a cell. And this is what love, this is what the love of God requires of us. He says it. This is what he says. To unselfishly choose what's best for every person that we come in contact with. Because we have chosen to love them just like we have been loved. Not because this or because of that. Like, because we were loved. Because the life that Jesus lived in the in the. And the price that Jesus paid for us should be enough. And the band can go ahead and come up because I'm basically done. I totally didn't say anything. But I'll end with what Paul said back to, uh, to the church of Ephesus. And he says, followers of Jesus, follow God's example as dearly loved children. And you yourself walk in in the exact way of love, just as Christ loved you. And so the band will play one more song and then you know we'll dismiss and stuff, but I wanna go ahead and pray if you guys can bow your heads. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the life that we have, the opportunities that we have in our mundane, everyday life, God, the, the people that we interact with, Lord, the people that... We walk by on campus, Lord, walk by at work. God, no matter what it is, whether if it's just one of our neighbors down the street, Lord, we we see other people out there, Lord. And somewhere along this, God, we, we know internally that whether if it's awkward or not, sometimes we recognize the choice that's made in those split seconds on if we're gonna say anything to that person if we're going to smile, if we're going to genuinely listen or look them in the eyes, God, when we're standing in line, when we just want to pull out our phone and ignore the world, Lord, God, I'm thankful that, no, that someone didn't do that for me. God, I'm so grateful for my small group leader to leave his phone in his pocket, to not look the other way, to see me on campus and wave at me and smile, Lord, I'm so grateful for that because then and there I had made a friend. I wasn't looking for a friend, Lord, you know where my heart was, God. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to sit in, in what I wanted to sit in, my own depression, my own self-pity, God thinking of all the reasons and excuses why someone wouldn't want to be my friend, Lord. God, you flipped that on its head, God. You changed my view of everything, Lord, and And it was so radical, and it was so drastic, God, that it filled me with this fire, God, to just help just one more person, one more person on campus who feels the exact same way to realize the truth that is out there for their life. God, if it's just one more student, one more friend, and all we have to do is talk, all we have to do is just push through one awkward moment for the sake of eternity, for the sake of a person. And Lord, we thank you for giving us just such a great example in scripture of how to just treat another person like a human being with dignity and honor and value. Who cares what they've gone through? Who cares what they did, what they said, what people say about them? Who cares? We're so grateful for that. You've shown us such a good example, Lord, and You've empowered us and encouraged us to do the same thing. And it's not asking something that we're not qualified for, Lord. You're there with us, God. We thank you so much. It's your heavenly name we pray. Amen.